This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's a Thanksgiving weekend edition of the Equalizer podcast. It's also episode number 87. Dan Lawletta and Chelsea Bush are here with you for three segments of exciting women's soccer conversation. Even though Chelsea is a little bit of a lull in the uh, women's soccer news world, as tends to happen at this time of year. Um, and before I let you comment on that, let's just talk about College Cup. We're, we're trying to put together a good College Cup podcast for you for next week. Here are the teams involved. Stanford, they beat BYU. These, all these games are on Friday. That was a 5-1 score. UCLA eliminated the defending champions, Florida State, 4-0. So back to the College Cup for UCLA. Washington State in a fairly monumental upset. They had already taken out the number one seed in their region, Virginia. In the second round, they beat South Carolina in extra time. And North Carolina back in the College Cup again. They lost in the championship game. A year ago, much more noted for all the times they've won. They edged USC 3-2, to two, so it'll be North Carolina against Washington State and UCLA-Stanford in an all-Pac-12 battle. Those are the semifinals on Friday. Final is Sunday, and again, hopefully next week's episode will be very College Cup-focused. But uh, for now, Chelsea, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Um, I didn't watch any soccer, which is a little disappointing. Um, but it was good. How was yours, Dan? You're supposed to watch American football on Thanksgiving. Oh, no, I didn't do that either. I don't have the – the soccer has ruined it for me. I can only sit through 90 minutes, no timeouts. Um, <laughs> okay. The, the incessant timeouts, just they drive, and stopping the clock just drives me insane, and I'd rather just take a nap. What about when they go into the for the uh, for a replay so that you're not down with that then, probably even in soccer? Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of my issues with VAR. I think it slows the game down and you're just stopped and, and waiting. Um, I want to, you know, I want, I want things to happen. People complain that soccer is boring, but I'm like, at least it keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. My, my Thanksgiving exceeded expectations, which I admit were low, but, uh, my expectations were exceeded. So that's good. Um, I, uh, I, I didn't have deviled eggs, um, and I'm still not over it. So that's probably okay. a little down on it. It okay, really my upset me. my pumpkin pie was below par, and I wait all year for Thanksgiving to have pumpkin pie, so that was a problem for me. But I've got the rest of the holiday season to make up for that. Yeah. Um, are you thankful for the Lyon Rain FC uh, <laughs> impending marriage? I guess engagement at this point, impending marriage, because I wrote about it, and um, you know I think it could be great, but I think it could just as easily be a disaster. I, I'm kind of of two minds. I don't think it's going to be a disaster per se, but I mean, I think on the one hand, right, the, the NWSL can't afford to turn away committed investors. And I think if, if the, 
you know, team behind Leon has proved anything, it's that they're obviously willing to put time and money and effort into women's soccer. So on that front, I think it's great. I think that whoever's in the league front office these days needs to keep that in mind. You do not turn away committed investment teams. Um, right, which may or may not have happened a few times. Exactly. In the last months. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so I think that's good. I don't see it being a disaster, but I, I think there are two, I think, potential issues I have that, that I could see maybe not it being just a stupendous success. Right. And, and the one I think is that their, I guess, uh, formula for success in France is not really applicable here. You can't throw unlimited amounts of money and buy stars from all around the world and build this this barnstorming team and then so it's not set up for that we have even with the allocation thing we still have salary caps you still have you know a set international slot a number of international slots right there are things in place that maybe aren't to keep them from doing their normal mo and so and also you have it, it, the league just works differently there's the draft there are trades there are discovery rights it's it's totally it operates completely differently and so i hope that they either you know work with the people who are already on the ring currently and then let them kind of just handle how things go and and just kind of work behind the scenes or they adapt quickly um because i I don't think they can do what they did do in france right And, and i'm curious about the motivation that they have for wanting to do this you know if you go back to when like phil anschutz was essentially propping up major league soccer he owned i don't know how many of the teams at one time you know there was a deep-rooted reason for that because he kind of saw he had a vision of what major league soccer has become that he could actually in the long term make money that if he could build up the league and then own a team or two i guess he's got one and a half at this point and maybe down to just one the galaxy but that that could actually be profitable and that the galaxy could become a big deal and worth a lot of money you know is leon coming in here because they feel like rain fc will eventually double triple quadruple or more in in value and that it'll actually be a good value play or are they in here to try and help build the brand globally and build up the Lyon team over in France, which doesn't need really a lot of building up on the field, obviously. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm curious about that. And I hope that they wind up hiring an American staff in the sense that, you know, people who know about the league and are familiar with the league doesn't have to be American people necessarily, but you know, they, that they hire an NWSL staff. They don't try to take kind of what you said. They don't try to take what they've done in Europe and bring it over here. Are we going to have players shuttling back and forth? Are we going to have, you know, loan oddities here and there? Or is it going to be where, you know, this is an independent team and they try to make it the best that they have in this league? Yeah, I mean, obviously their first order business needs to be a coach. I think it's going to tell us a lot. And season Just tickets would be nice, different, well, but, yes. you know, who needs those? <laughs> yeah. Go on. Um, but you, you kind of hinted at my, my, my second concern. That is, I, I don't want to see the rain or the league in general become any sort of a feeder system for Europe champions league, et cetera. I don't want them to say, Hey, this is, you know, like I said, Leon doesn't really need any help. It does has never stopped them in the past. Did they need Alex Morgan or Morgan Bryan or anyone else they, they brought on the last couple of years? No, they're doing just fine, but it doesn't stop them. And I, I'd hate to see, in, you know, them bring somebody onto the rain, ha- have a year, a good season or a couple of good seasons say, Hey, there's something here. Look at how much more money we can give you if you go and play in Leon, and you're probably going to win the Champions League too. Like I don't want that to start 
happening. I, I don't see us getting French national team players coming to NWSL except for maybe a, you know, one or two off. I don't think it's going to become a back and forth sort of freestanding yeah, loan system. I think they should. I think it would be a pretty big benefit to the French national team, but that that's another story. Oh yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, maybe see what I'm saying. Like, I don't want every time they the rain gets some great young player for it to become a poaching thing where they end up in Europe because they can play Champions League. They can give them that much more money. Right. And you look at, obviously, you can only go to the men's game to look for precedent. And obviously, the Chivas USA experiment was an epic disaster. And then MLS, you know, to their credit, righted that wrong. But now they have, the Red Bulls have other affiliates, and they actually had, they lost their coach to an Austrian team because he was, quote unquote, promoted up the ranks, Jesse Marsh. And he was, he had done fantastic work with the Red Bulls. And you know, now they've moved on to Chris Armas, who had a bit of a disappointing season. Is that a coincidence? Who knows? NYCFC, you know, their, you know, they were, you know, their coaching tree is designed to get people to be the head coach at Manchester City. I mean, that's the parent franchise for City Football Group. And the Red Bulls and NYCFC have both been pretty good on the field in recent years, though they haven't, you know, had the brass ring, so to speak, or been in an MLS Cup and obviously not won it. But, uh, you know, looking at those two examples, I, you know, it's better than what Chivas USA was, but I wouldn't want that for Rain FC either. I just want every team to be, you know, independent in the sense that their only goal is to try and win in the NWSL. And, yeah. and that's it. And you can use the Lyon thing to your advantage in many ways, including loan deals, but they have to make sense. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, to go back to what you, I'm glad you brought up City Football Group, because you look at the things they've done on their women's side with Man City and Melbourne City and, and Australia, and they've pretty much, those teams have come onto the scene and done very, very well. Now, they, they had, you know, they didn't build those teams completely from scratch. There was some sort of, especially, I think, with, with Man City, some sort of a lower-level background. But they came on, they, they gave them the right resources. Everyone talks about how Melbourne City is basically the, the Portland of the W League in the sense that they set the standard for how a, a t- professional team is supposed to be run and treated. Now that, I think, to bring some more professionalism to the NWSL, I think is great. So if, Absolutely. if that's the and, example, I, I think it's a good thing. And you can't, and like you said at the top, you, you know, you don't want to turn away committed investors and money because NWSL obviously needs investment like this. I'm also concerned, I would say, that, you know, I know they're staying in Tacoma and now they're going to be tenants because the new owners, uh, the new minority owners that came on board uh, next to Bill Predmore last season when the team moved from Seattle to Tacoma, they will apparently sell their stake to Lyon. Bill Predmore, I believe, will still be a minority owner, but he'll be staying on as CEO of the team. And Teresa Predmore will still run the Rain Academy. But do we really think the long-term vision for Lyon is to have an affiliate in Tacoma? No, definitely not. Especially when there are other, and a lot of them, major cities unaccounted for in in women's soccer. So, yeah, you know, look. They had an opportunity, right, to buy in. I think that once they get their feet under them, that I could see that moving. Maybe it just moves back to Seattle. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I think it's in Tacoma. It's a great setup right now. Yeah, I mean, the players all raved about it. You know, it's not ideal playing in a baseball stadium, but I know the players raved about uh, some of the different ways that the team had been promoted, even subtly, around the city. 
And Memorial Stadium, obviously, you know, it was quaint and it was a place that the rain had a lot of success. But, they were, you know, they obviously needed to get out of there for a variety of different reasons. So, look, I look, I would love it if Leon came in and made Tacoma, you know, this. I mean, you know, Tacoma for a while was a big indoor city on the men's side in the 80s and 90s. Maybe that happens again on the women's side. I hope it does. I would love it if it did. And I don't, don't you feel like. Leona side that with Vlatko and Danowski leaving that team that they're almost starting from scratch, kind of like only he could have gotten that roster the way it was built to make the playoffs. And they kind of need a bit of a reboot. Um, I, I do feel like not many coaches would have gotten as much success out of that team with the injuries that they had, you know, finding a player like Bethany Balser. I don't think many coaches would have taken a chance on a player like her and gotten what they did out of her like who's got a pretty good track record of of getting things out of players that other people have written off um as far as like a like a, a reset i mean they still have you know next year you'll have hopefully have rapino more a little a little bit more than they did this year you know get just specialized back at some point i mean they have some of the the core that they've had for a long time you know bev yanez uh, lauren barnes um so I don't know if I would yeah. call it, it's not like a Washington situation. Yeah, where they Allie Long, Jody Taylor. No, not not in that regard. Just that I don't know that if you drop another coach into the same situation, that it goes as well as it did the last two years, especially this year. Right. I mean, it definitely, they, they've got to pick their coach very, very carefully. But I think he's going to be walking into a good core. I'll put it that way. Yeah, a good core. And they've built something, I think, really nice over the years. You know, I think... Megan Rapino, I think, is one of the few originally allocated players who seems to be really invested in the, in her in her club. You know, I know she didn't play a lot this season, but I don't think I think when she could have played, she played. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, now, the other thing is that I don't know how much you're going to get of her, though, because the Olympics are a little on the late side and it might be too late in the game. But Jess Fishlock could be at the Olympics, too. That's a good point. I'd actually kind of forgotten she she has the opportunity. I mean, if she's healthy, I don't see why you wouldn't take her to the Olympics, but that's that's a whole other discussion, I suppose. Um, yeah, okay, fair point. I yeah. Just, I don't know. When you, you I was thinking like like an Orlando situation where they just I, I think the the Rainer, even without a coach, are still starting off much stronger than than a few of the existing teams. No, for sure. I, I just feel like maybe the new coach needs to do just a little something to put you know, his or her stamp on the roster a little bit. And they did have an incredible amount of injuries during the season, as you, you know, mentioned, you know, Taylor Smith will be coming back, you know, Fishlock probably touch and go to make it for the start of the season. Hopefully Rapino gets a little R&R here in the next month or two and, and uh, comes in. But, you know, the national team players are going to be probably more tired than usual even because qualifying shouldn't be that much of a lift, but they've still got to do it. And then she believes Cup. And then preseason, and then who knows what the friendly schedule is going to look like ahead of the Olympics. So it, it could I mean, be I'm another sure tough year. It's going to be loaded. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I think that we're obviously not going to see. It's going to be just like it was last year. We're not going to see a whole lot of them. They are going to be tired. There are going to be some unfortunate injuries. Um, although I guess we'll have to see who the new uh, fitness coach is too. Yep, and so. nobody has indicated yet that they're not playing in 2020, which I find amazing that one player got pregnant and she's already talking about, I want to play in an Olympic team. 
Yeah, but I, I think that they're tiring at this point in time. Like like Lauren Holiday is kind of the surprise, not the norm, you know? It's like, why wouldn't you hang around for one more year? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that, that that's fair. I, but, you know, that 23 to 18 cut is not easy. And, uh, you yeah, know... It, sorry, go ahead. Now, well, just like the Whitney Engen, as one example, uh, was, I think, told after the World Cup, you know, thank you for your time, but we're not going to be using you in the future. And then she made that announcement. So it doesn't even seem no. like anybody's been told. No, your, your timing is off there. She played at the Olympics. Whitney Engen did? Yes. Remember, she actually played in the Olympics as opposed to the World Cup. Right, well, clearly was, I'm losing my mind. I so. think it was, was it Johnson, Julie Johnson that was injured for a little, for some of the group stage? I am clearly losing it. Unless so. I'm, unless I've lost it, I, I, I'm almost positive she played at the Olympics. But I do also think we could see maybe some players coming out of the January camp who maybe had some difficult, difficult uh, conversations. Yeah, I mean, look, not everyone's going to be there, so I just, you know, it's just I think usually one or two maybe throw their name in there as someone who's not going to play. All right, let's uh, let's get out of this segment. We'll check on the Whitney Engen info. Get back to you, and uh, we'll keep talking uh, women's soccer. It is December now as we end Thanksgiving weekend with the Equalizer podcast with Chelsea. I'm Dan. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Jeff Kasouf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL Draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Segment two of Equalizer podcast. This is episode 87 with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today and to let you know that you can find our online content at EqualizerSoccer.com and you can subscribe to our extra uh, segment at EqualizerSoccer.com slash extra. Lots of great stuff from this past week. And that includes um, info about the new players called into the December camp in uh for with Vlatko Andonovsky players who are not on the national team. Uh, my commentary, which is a little bit of an expanding on what we talked about in segment one about the reality of the Lyon Reign relationship and also our weekly NWSL college draft prep that includes Michael Minich's weekly mock first round of the draft, which is coming January 16th. So check us out at EqualizerSoccer.com. Chelsea, um, first of all, most importantly, uh, Chelsea was right about Whitney Engen. 2016, she played in the Olympics. Then she was dropped and made the announcement. So um, yes. I guess the thing about 15 was that Holiday retired young. Box, who barely played, retired. And Kalupni retired? Correct. All right. At least I got those right. So Most I, importantly, I was right. Exactly. Most importantly, you were right. All right. So that's it for the show because Chelsea was right now. Um, 
we talked a little bit off air about Jess Fishlock and then decided to save it and discuss it on the pod. Um, what you said it. So what, what are your thoughts on, on Fishlock and the rain? Um, well, you kind of, you kind of punched a little bit of a hole in my balloon there because as you mentioned, she may actually be chosen for team GB and, and go to the Olympics and may not play very much. But if I were running a team and I saw that, or I got, you know, the news about the allocation, just the shock would be at allocation money. Just the shock would be at the top of my list. She, she may not be going anywhere. She may have by all indications is okay with whatever salary she is, which has to be at the max. But I think she's someone who very much deserves to benefit from, from that allocation money. And I think we're in a very awkward opening of this allocation deal where what do you do with players like Jess Fishlock? Because like you said, she's probably not going anywhere. Seems to really love the rain. Um, certainly has a relationship now with the new owners because she played over there in Lyon and helped to win the Champions League again before she came back here and then got hurt. But, you know, is it in your best interest to use the allocation money on a player who you know is already willing to take the max NWSL contract? Or does a player like her say, you know what, I'd love to stay, but I need a piece of this action? I don't think she's going to say that. Um and you know, Matt, maybe you should be using that to attract other signings that you, you couldn't get otherwise. But I just I feel like that is someone who could easily go to any number of leagues and teams across the world, as she did with Leon, step right into the starting lineup and, and help them win championships. And I think that should be, she should be, you know, compensated appropriately for what she brings to the reign. Now, what I want to know is, let's say another team in the league decides that they're willing to give her a bunch of allocation money is there or should there be a mechanism where that team can go to the league or the rain and say we want to offer Jess Fishlock x number of dollars in allocation money to come play for us and then the rain either have to match it or offer her the opportunity to go to the other team I mean I think you're getting into a very murky world of player rights and, and trades. I mean, because that's essentially, right, that's what other teams, like, in, say in Europe, that's what they do. They offer, they say, hey, I will pay X amount of money for this player. And Right, but the, the difference between that and what I'm talking about is that Fishlock came here in one financial system and is now in a bad spot, in a sense, because the system changed and she might be stuck in the old system. But that's what I'm saying. She shouldn't be stuck. Yeah, and maybe the, the players who, I don't know how it works if they're in the middle of their contract. Um, you know, if they're already locked in for next year, I don't know if they can go back and renegotiate that or if they just have to wait till their next contract is up and, and, and go from there. I, I don't know about that, but I mean, I don't... Well, I just can't think of any other player in the league that jumped immediately to my mind as soon as I saw the email existing player in this league of that's who that should apply to right now. Right. Well, we had Sam Kerr, but about an hour later, we found out she but was we, leaving. And at that time, we, even though we didn't know officially, everybody knew she was, we knew she was yeah, leaving. Like I've, I've heard this referred to as the Sam Kerr role, and it keeps irritating me because whether or not they wanted that to apply to her, it was never going to. If, she, if it was about money, she would have left a long time ago. I'm sure you know, making a big salary is great, but she, she could have made close to that playing in the W league and she's turning, been turning down offers for a while. So I'd rather, you know, it's, it's a rule that's 
you know, call the role after someone it applies to right now, rather than not in, you know, two or three years when she comes back. Yeah, I think that's probably probably right. And I was just going to ask you that when John and I did the pod right after the current announcement, we both agreed she would be back in the league at some point. And I guess you are on board with that, too. Yeah, because she seems by, you know, what she says publicly, by what people who, you know, journalists that have a relationship with her that cover her week in and week out have indicated she's genuinely happy in Chicago. I think she she really does like being able to play in the NWSL and then go and play in W League, play for Perth. I just, I don't see this being a, playing for, for Chelsea being a long-term thing. She, she's going to do her contract. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she ends up loving London and that's where she sees her future but I just I think she genuinely is on a personal level enjoys playing for Chicago and in the in the NWSL yeah I tend to agree I mean maybe she falls in love with Chelsea I don't know but I I tend I mean to who wouldn't she'll be back well because of the name of course <laughs> it's a great club they great spell club. the name wrong though you know sometimes it happens I can't hold spelling against everybody but do you have a football club named after you, Dan? Um, I no, I have an Elton John song named after me. Well, that's such a claim to fame. Then I, you're gonna have to play that for me, by the way. <laughs> um, it's probably it's not, not not as best, not as best. Um, how about the national team players? You know, they're not. How about them? They're not eligible anymore to be the highest paid players. Uh, oh, they're eligible to be the highest, but they're not eligible to make the maximum available salary now in the league, and they uh, don't seem happy about it. Do they not seem happy about it? Well, Rapino came out and said oh. they want a piece of that pie, and the uh, Becca Rue, who was their uh, the lawyer for the National Team Players Association, was, uh, I'd say, cagey in her comments. I, I guess I, I must have missed that in all my uh, Thanksgiving prep and festivities. Um I mean, they, you know, they used to have that clause in their CBA, right, that they had to be the top paid. And they actually got rid of that, which I thought was a step forward. Um, you know, listen, I'm not opposed to them getting their money's worth. They, like Jess Fishlock, most of them could go to the top teams that are paying the top, you know, Lyon, Chelsea, Bayern, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Real Madrid gets their team off, you know, whatever the team may be. Walk into the top teams in the world play Champions League and make a, a pretty penny doing it and then more than they, they make right now. Um, and I'm honestly, nothing's really holding them back from doing that. They don't have to play in NWSL any longer. Um, obviously, it's probably still preferred, we'll put it that way. But Right, but if enough of them, you know, it's the sort of thing that if enough of them go, it can't be preferred anymore. Yeah. Um. I mean, listen, like I said, I'm behind them getting what, what they deserve, and I've supported their equal pay fight, but they've been making good money for a long time now, and I, I'm much more concerned about the people who are making 40 or 50 grand a year doing the same job, essentially. Well, they're, none of them are struggling, and if they are, right. it's their own fault. Like, they've all made, you know, decent amounts of money. You want to compare it to other athletes, fine, they're way behind. But compared to the average American, they're doing fine. Right. I, I, do, I think that our, our our mindset of what professional athletes should make is skewed because we live in a world where the totally. NBA and NFL exist. Like at the end of the day, these are people who have a bachelor's degree who are making over six figures. That's pretty darn good. 
Right. And most of them have also bachelor's degrees from pretty darn good schools that they can fall back on. And they probably didn't have to take point. out 50,000 student loans to get it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not saying they don't deserve what they're fighting for, but I'm not concerned about how they're going to pay their bills. Yeah. Yes. Very well said. Yeah. We live in a skewed world where a baseball player will sign for $14 million and we'll say, huh, they got a team got a bargain. 14 million for that guy and only for one year. Uh, but I, you know, on one hand, I feel like why shouldn't they be able to tell U.S. soccer no thank you and then see if they can get the allocation money? On the other hand, that would completely defeat the purpose of having the allocation money because you want that money to be able to attract new players, and these players are already here. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think that the getting rid of the allocation system has got to be in probably – in the NWSL's future at some point, and I would like it to say, even in the short-term future, moving away from U.S. soccer having such a directly controlling influence and maybe make it a little bit more of an indirect allocation or something, but they, they've got to let the clubs have more, I don't want to say control over these players, because that's definitely the wrong word, but more of a say. They can't just, they shouldn't be able to just yank them when when they want them to play some bullshit friendly. Um well, that's to. that's the rub too. Is do you want to? Would you know? Part of this is that U.S. soccer wants control of these players in the soccer, you know, soccer control. And I don't but think I, they, I think that that needs to go away. Oh, it does need to go away. But I mean, a lot of people, and I've been one of them, have thought, you know, instead of paying the players, why not just give X number of dollars to the teams to use in whatever way they see fit? But then there has to be a minimum that the teams spend on on player salaries. But at the same time, then, do you get that Rose Bowl friendly last year if the teams are actually paying the bills? No, but is that the worst thing in the world? Not to us, but it might be to U.S. soccer. And, you know, I've heard coaches say when there have been players, and it's usually, it's interesting because it's usually the bubble players that this matters for, like Huerta, whether she was going to play right back or... Um, and I'm sure there's a few others where the coach of the NWSL club will say that they told the player, look, you know, if U.S. soccer wants to allocate you and they want to make you a, you know, an attacking midfielder, then I'll be happy to do it. But if, if I'm paying you, you're going to do what I want to do. Although Paul Riley somehow seems to have gotten away with that with Crystal Dunn. He does whatever he wants with her. And that's worked out well for both national team and the courage. Yes, well, U.S. soccer would, would do well to emulate Paul Riley that, in that particular instance. Um, but I, I just, at some point, the, the U.S. soccer and, and NWSL relationship needs to sever, and NWSL needs to be able to stand on its own, and that is going to be in, involved in that is paying the players and being able to retain them on the NWSL's own merits. And at some point, the allocation money has to apply to them. But that's in the future. It, it seems just, that way. Right they... now, I... I don't think you should be able to get allocation money and allocation money because they're both they're both no, involved. There. You know what no, I'm saying? No, not and. But you know, if Megan Rapinoe wants a piece of that pie, why shouldn't she be able to go to U.S. Soccer and say, "I'm taking. I don't want your contract this year." And whatever comes with that comes with it. You know, whether that means she's not guaranteed call-ins or maybe they say, "Fine, you're off the team," but then she should be. Why can't she at least have an opportunity to make that money? I agree with you, but here's a question. I'm flipping on its head a little bit. Do you think 
if that's the deal she was offered, do you think that's what she wants when she says, I want a piece of that pie too? Meaning not being paid by U.S. soccer? Correct. Uh, that's a very good question because I think you, I mean, I think that applies to the entire, and this is a big can of worms, but I think that entire, <laughs> that applies to the entire scope of the whole equal pay argument is that you can very, you know, you can very easily throw out numbers that the guys make this and we make this for doing this. But that leaves out a lot of what you have that you may have to give up to get some of the things that the guys have. Yeah, and that's that kind of always. Sense. Yeah, that's always been kind of the issue. Is and I, I have no problem saying this, although I'm sure that this is going to rub some people the wrong way. There are times when it appears that they want to have their cake and eat it too, and and you can't have it both ways. And maybe this is how, this is a step towards towards moving to, more to the structure that the men have where they don't have guaranteed salaries, but the clubs are capable of, of taking care of the, that part of it. Yeah. You know, I, before a media day, before the final, I asked Heather O'Reilly and Morgan Bryan about the fact that they have both been allocated players and non-allocated players, and they both gave really interesting answers. O'Reilly said that she definitely has seen the other side and has a lot more appreciation for the other side, having been detached from U.S. soccer now for three years, right? 2016 was the end for her, right? I'm not making that up. I got that yes, correct yes, also. Yes, she was an alternate at the Olympics and then yeah, she retired. Right, right, right. We cried a lot. Right, she played Thailand, I believe, yep. in the last game. And Morgan Bryan, yep, Morgan Bryan, who I think was non-allocated maybe in 2018, she basically said, look, I'm not going to claim that I've seen the other side because she was still very much involved with the national team the year she wasn't allocated. So I thought that was very interesting and, and honest, but I thought it was also fascinating for Heather O'Reilly, um, you know, to say, you know, I, yeah, I have a different appreciation for players that don't have what I had for those years. So I'm sure there's more to it than just the money and the, uh, you know, being guaranteed to be called in the most camps. But yeah, we're, it's a really interesting time because, you know, we're going to, they're going to have to figure this out. And I also think part of the beef the players have is, Nobody told them this was coming. I mean, I'm not sure how to respond to that. Like, why should they get advanced notification? Did, did any other player know it was coming? Well, I mean, the you Players Association in general, like. Okay, I mean, maybe, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, just, I think that's an odd thing to get upset about. Okay, well, we're going to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, and like they got us, they have, somebody has to use this allocation money, right? Cause it is a bad look if nobody does. And yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know when the next big transfer window is, but I mean, at some point in this off season, we have to see right. the results of that. Right. I don't mean like you give Lauren Barnes an extra 20 grand and use allocation money for that. I mean, you, cause someone's got to go out and make a big signing. And it should be oh, enough, right? So. Three hundred thousand should be enough if you're gonna, you know, if you want to make it all and do it all in yeah, one. Yeah, because show. I mean, you, we've had bigger name players come in and play for, you know, thirty grand, um, just just because they wanted to play here. So I think this is could be the tipping point for players who who want that extra challenge, and you know, who who wants to take their, you know, get out of their comfort zone and maybe take their game to the next level, like Amandine Henri. Um, but who also maybe are going to be swayed a little bit more by, by the the idea of, of making a little bit more extra money. Like, I don't think you're, you're going to go and you're going to get 
you know, Marajan or Mitama or some of those tie-in really names, but I think there, there's some that it has to, it surely has to, to attract some players who, who just were kind of maybe on the edge about it. All right, that's two segments in the book. We'll come back with a little Q&A, and uh, I'll pose an interesting question uh, to Chelsea as well. You're listening to episode 87 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast, episode 87, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-growing catalog of women's soccer stats at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And North Carolina into another college cup. How about their 29th since 1982? And it's a far cry from their dominance of the 80s and 90s, but that is 17 more than anybody else. Notre Dame with an even dozen. Stanford, who got in, did get into number 10. This year, uh, UCLA went to number 11. That's the standalone third now behind Notre Dame. Santa Clara to Florida State also with 10. And Washington State will be playing in their very first when they meet North Carolina on Friday. But 29 college cups since 1982. They have won the national championship, by the way, 21 times. Notre Dame is next with three, but none since 2012 for the Tar Heels. They were in the final in 2018 national semifinal in 2016 and this will be their third trip to the college cup since 2012 so that is the equalizer soccer sports reference stat of the week brought to you by sports reference check out their women's soccer stats at fbref.com all right chelsea let's get to these uh questions uh, we don't have too many today i guess everyone is still um recovering from their thanksgiving weekend but uh, when do nwsl this is from brie by the way when do NWSL teams usually have their rosters finalized, trades, drafts, expansion, etc. Um, I'll start on this one because there is still uncertainty about whether the Sacramento thing is happening. Now, I think it's amazing that it can be December and it isn't set. And every day that passes, you think that it's not going to happen. But I'm still told this is not a dead issue. Uh, the draft is January 16th. A lot of trades happen right up against the draft. And then I think probably a few less after that. Uh, but you know what? It's very fluctuant. The transfer windows, as we talked about, are open usually right after the first of the year. Uh, but I would expect pretty soon to about the end of January to be the time where most of the player movement happens. you have anything to add there? I just like how you say that trades happen up against the draft as if they don't happen in the middle of the draft as well. Well, that too. Yes, that too. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I mean, they don't. Their rosters technically aren't going to be finalized until what is it, the second week of preseason when they make that those cuts or something like that. Yeah, and even I mean, even up to the last day, you can technically, you know, you can still Correct. drop people and make deals and whatnot. I do think you'll get more trades if there is no expansion. I think because uh, though, you know, if there's expansion, you will get. Players, you know what? I, I don't take. I take back everything I just said. I think you'll get a lot of trades either way. <laughs> All right. No, I, I think actually. Uh, okay. No. Go ahead. What? I was gonna say. I, I think that maybe that's kind of what people are waiting for. Is do we really want to make trades if expansion is going to happen and we are going to have to possibly lose players we're not aware of? You know, like maybe they're they're on hold for that news. Yeah. Plus the value of draft picks changes with expansion. 
Yes, Rory Dames. <laughs> Michael Phillips, why doesn't NWSL and ESPN set a, de- set a deal to stream all NWSL games and televise one or two every week? Where are the logistics money uh, involved of that to happen? I have no idea. I don't think it would be a bad thing. And uh, ESPN supposedly wants to continue on. But, you know, again, it's December. Why haven't we finalized more of these things? Uh, You know, depending on who you talk to, NBC may or may not be in the mix. But I think ESPN Plus would be great. But I don't know. What do you think? I I think some of this still points back to the NWSL front office being understaffed and just kind of aimless. Well, they've got Octagon now helping to get this done. So hopefully, but I, you know, it'd be really great if you could know this before the schedule comes out so that TV can help make the schedule and then make it more TV friendly. Yeah. All right. Godwin Okoli, and as usual, hope I pronounced that right. Do you think we can expect a cup between NWSL and Liga Femenil, which is the Mexican Women's League, before a U.S. Open Cup for women? Go ahead. Take it away. I don't know if, if we can expect it. I've kind of been on record as saying I don't think that the structure, the women's world of women's soccer, pro and pro-am in the U.S. is really set up for an open cup just yet. I think the gap between the second tier and the first tier is just is way too massive. I would love to see more between Liga MX Femenil and, and the Nibisau. We got a taste of it last season with the Houston Dash friendly. Um I was it was thrilling, it was exciting. Even though the NWSL rep, rep lost, um, I, I think that they're doing great things. I watched a little bit of of their game over the weekends in um, the Liga MX Manila. I'm still working on my Spanish, but I got the gist of what was happening. I could see the field, and I, I think it would be great. I would love to see them at least, if, you know, maybe some preseason friendlies or some sort of ICC type tournament, something. Um, to to just make things more interesting, to see maybe some some player movement. I, I do know that Houston Dash are quite possibly going to sign some players from that league. So yeah, bring it on. And noted that uh, the Dash actually did have a friendly with the Liga MX Femenil team. And thanks for the MX part because it was written it's written a little differently in this question, and I couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't quite connect the dots as to what they call that league, but. Um, yeah, the Dash have already had a friendly. I heard, you know, there could be more coming, but I think absolutely. You'll, I think it's a lot more, it's a lot simpler to have, a, you know, an NWSL team play a Mexican team than to put together an entire Women's Open Cup. Although there has been an Open Cup before, and the Red Stars in 2012 actually won it, but it was not really an Open Cup, any, anything that resembled what happens on the men's side. But, you know, I would, I think a women's open cup would be great. I think part of the way you build the tiers below is to have tournaments like that. But I think we're a long way from it now. Question for you. Okay. I'm ready. Question for you. If you had a friendly between the United States and the North Carolina courage, courage could keep all their players. U S has to go with whoever else, we're assuming everybody's healthy and not pregnant. Who's winning that game? Or break it down tactically for me. So we're not we're not cloning players. So no doll camper, no Dunn. Right, um, they're on the courage. The courage get all courage get their full roster. U.S. gets everybody else that they can possibly call in. 
I I think I have to lean U.S. here. I think you you can say yes. The Courage have beaten Becky Sarbron. They've beaten Alyssa Nair. They've beaten Julie Ertz. But I think the combination. Um, I think you, we we something that I've harped on for a long time. I think the Courage still have a weakness in as far as efficiency in front of goal. I don't think that the you know I, okay. So you're, you miss Abby Dahlkeeper right. So I think you drop Julie Ertz back to center back. I think the pairing of those two in front of Nair. Um, yeah, I think they're not going to get as many shots off. And I don't think they're going to, you know, I'm, I'd say Casey Short on the left. And then I'm assuming everybody's healthy. So what Kelly O'Hara on the right, they're not going to be able to control the width as much. And that's where the courage are really strong is stretching out teams, sending in crosses, getting balls inside the box. I don't think they're going to be able to do that as much. I think the big thing there, though, is if you do drop Julie Ertz back into center back is who fills in at defensive midfielder, right? You don't have Sam Mewis, so you're going to have Lindsey Horan, I would think, playing an eight. Roosevelt is a 10. Right. That's a big question mark for me is who who's your six in that center? Yeah, that's a good back. point because you do lose your – probably lose your two best. Right? I mean, okay, not- let's – but if Tierna Davidson's healthy, maybe you put, play her next to Becky Sauerbrunn and you keep Julie Ertz at defensive mid. Right. Well, we're saying everybody's healthy, so we'll give we'll give her the benefit I, of the doubt that, that Tierna will be healthy when they when we do this game. I think maybe that's what I would do then. I, I like to I like Ertz better at defensive mid than I do at center back. I like her center back a lot, but I just think she's such a destroyer at that midfield. I think she's going to stop you from getting some shots off. And um, I go ahead finish up. Yeah, I think I lean. I think I lean U.S. I think when you pull all the pieces together, they're they're going to be ruthless and, and a little bit stronger than the courage. I think the courage would have to win the midfield battle because as good as they have been defensively in the league, I don't think they've ever seen anything like Heath Morgan Rapino. And that would be a problem if those three players got on the ball and were able to get shots off. But I don't put it completely past the courage to win the midfield battle with Mewis. I mean, Mewis, Dabinia, O'Sullivan, and Dunn, that's pretty good midfield. It is. I mean, they obviously they, they win it in numbers right away. I think you're going to have to see some defensive work from especially Rapino and Tobin Heath. Um, you, you'd have to see them drop back some. And I just I think that the width, I agree with you in the midfield, but I also think that they're controlling the flanks is a big key in shutting down the courage. They, they love to get those outside backs up. And I think that's where the U.S., though, is very, very good at breaking people in transition. And I think that's where the courage can be can be exploited. And the wild card here is that we can say all the players will be healthy, but I don't think we know what the U.S. coach wants to do with his shape. For the long yeah, I mean, we're obviously term. still still going off the Jill Ellis lineup and, and 4-3-3. Um, now, yeah, wouldn't it, I, would, I still wouldn't it, US. Wouldn't I do too? But I would if you told me the game happened and the courage won, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I mean, I but think I, yeah, if you play say, a series of three games, I think the U.S. is going to win two out of three at least, maybe win all three. But I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if there there's a one-off result. Like I think it's 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 not unfathomable the courage could could win. But clearly, the lot. Oh, I agree. Um, and you just sounded like Heather O'Reilly, you know, when I, when I asked her post game about the 
you know, how similar the courage was to the U.S. national team. And she said very similar. And, she, you know, and she rattled off a couple other things. And then she like so the next person started the question and she looked back at me and said, which is very impressive, by the way. Wouldn't it be interesting? And this would clearly be the most fascinating result if the courage won based on Crystal Dunn in the attacking midfield role, running circles around the U.S., who so far don't want to put her in the attacking midfield role. But see, I don't, I don't disagree with them not putting her in the attacking midfield role if they stick with right for the shape the that they, right, yeah, absolutely. Right. I think yeah, we we're both on I'd, record as agreeing yeah, with I'd that. Yeah, I still like her up top. But as, as opposed to left back, I don't think that, that that's her, she's the best U.S. player in that position or that's her best position. Um, and I don't really agree with compromising those two just to get her on the field. Um, so, yeah. So there's that, no done then. And there's, so there's no done in the back. So then who are your outside backs? I mean, is it O'Hara and? I think it's O'Hara and Short. Short? Yeah. I think Casey Short is the best left back in the league. Um, yeah, I mean, her and Hinkle, you think Short over better than him? I think she had, I think Short had a slightly better season maybe than Hinkle. Right now at this very point in time, yeah, I think Short had a slightly better season. Um, and I think she's really improved on her offensive aspects, which I think that Hinkle has better service, but as far as like a one V one defender, which is what I lean more towards when I rate a defender, I, I think Short has the edge. Right. And you couldn't take Hinkle even if you wanted her because she's on the courage. Correct. So for this particular game, you can Krieger yeah. then. I mean, is she, she's Krieger's got to be in the mix. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. If Kelly O'Hare is not healthy, I would I would still take Allie Krieger as, as my number two right back. Um, no. Again, it's it's for her defensive skills. She may not offer as much as I actually honestly, if in my heart of hearts, think she's probably a better pure defender than Kelly O'Hara. But O'Hara is going to get up the field more and and send balls in the box and take take the shot when it comes to her. And that's where I think Krieger has a weakness that she's never going to take the shot. And O'Hara doesn't get caught upfield very often out of position. Not too often, and she's got the recovery speed. Now, I texted Paul Riley about this question a couple days ago when I was pondering it, and I'm not going to give you his what he said would happen in the, in the game because it was not necessarily meant for public consumption. But what okay. I can tell you, he was so into this idea. I mean, he texted me position by position, his breakdown of everything. I, how much would, how cool would it be for this to actually happen? Uh, is You're the historian. Is there any sort of a precedent for it? Um, you know what's going to happen is I'm going to say no, and then Jen Cooper is going to text me in a couple days and say, actually, in 2004, there was this game between so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, but no, I don't, think, I don't think a league team has ever really... Um, played against the national team. And I actually started to think about it because someone, a player who was at the final, um, who was not in the national team picture, was saying, how come they've never scrimmaged an NWSL team? And I was like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense because some of the friendlies that we get for the national team are not that good. So why not play? I mean, how cool would it be? And what great cross-promotion would it be if in that well, last... I mean... Good. Well, I'll say it doubles, too, as a scouting. I mean, if someone's beating your national team player, you kind of have to take a longer look at them. Absolutely. I mean, that last window, usually, like, the, right, they play in April, and then the season opens the week after, more or less. Maybe it's, you know, maybe they change it up a little bit here and there. But how cool would it be last weekend of preseason and the national team plays the league champion? 
I'm down. I, I'd sign up for that. You know, and you go to that team city and then that is an actual opportunity because we how often do we talk about the fact that there are so many soccer fans in the country, right? When I tweeted about this and I got one of the most retweeted and commented on tweets I've ever sent was I was sitting in my hotel lobby in Lyon and all these American people were coming in to watch the national team. And I'm thinking if half of these people just from my hotel went to a, you know, did this kind of effort for an NWSL game, what a better league we could have. And this is an opportunity and it doesn't always have to be the league champion. Maybe that's a rich get richer kind of thing. But if the national team went to a different league city every year, and, and you got to actually attract people in and show them that there was a league, not just say it. Yeah, because I think there's a difference between playing that, you know, that city's team versus the U.S., you know, hosting some friendlies in, in Houston at BBVA. Um, oh, it's, absolutely. It's a, it's a different world. Yeah. And, and you give them an idea of what you can see week in and week out. Yeah, and maybe let the team market it a little bit. I mean, there, I mean, there's all kinds of red tape that's involved, you know, with whether it's a U.S. soccer event or whether it's a, a team event. And, and, you know, with the qualifying tickets, you know, is it U.S. soccer, is it CONCACAF? There's all kinds of stuff. But there would be great. And I think, the, I think if I'm the national team coach, I would kind of want this because I think the courage could get the attention of the U.S. more so than most teams that are going to come over here for that April window we're going to. I mean, I I would certainly think it'd be a more competitive game than Thailand or Costa Rica or some of the teams we've we've seen too often. We, I, I know I'm wrong. I think it's great for those teams to come to the U.S. and play because I think that's how you get better. But mm-hmm. we we don't need to see it more than once. That's for sure. Yeah, the double header friendlies against the same team. I I have no use for that. Well, no and like when we played Costa Rica like I get it they're they're ramping up for qualifying they need that game but we're going to see them again in what five months after they they played I mean do yep. we need to see that twice in a year mm, now no on the flip side do we agree that no other team would have a legitimate chance like you know no other NWSL team gives the U.S. even a sweat right now yeah I, I think a couple of years ago I would have said Portland could give them a run for their money because I mean they had half the U.S. team but and they still do but Portland this year obviously had some issues, and I don't think anyone else is. Right. Chicago is just not quite that that level. I yeah, think I mean, keep, those teams could keep it competitive. I mean, and if you know Kerr's gone from Chicago, but you know any team with Sam Kerr has a chance to score a bunch of goals. And uh, also, I mean, to point out, you have to also look at who the U.S. loses. So if you play Chicago, you lose your number one keeper, Julie Ertz, Tierna Davidson. Um, right, Casey short. short at this point. Yeah, so then you, that 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 does open up some some questions. If you play Portland, you lose you lose Tobin Heath, you you lose um, Lindsay Horan, Emily Sonnet. She wouldn't be in my 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 team anyway. <laughs> um, Fran, being honest. Fran, although you know, although I would hope. Well, I get you know we're saying that the club can keep the player, so so France would would be there. Yeah, because if you're playing Portland, you'd have an Aaron goal. Right. Well, I I want this to happen. I don't think there's a. I think you you know to that question about uh, the NWSL and Liga MX Femenil or an Open Cup. This U.S. versus this league champion is like eight eight steps behind those two things. I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I would love it. And for the record, Paul Riley would love it. Well, when we have it, we'll call it the uh, Dan Lala inaugural whatever game. 
Uh, sure, that'd be great. I don't, <laughs> since I don't have any major teams named after me around the world, I, I, I'll take that. You know, not everyone can so, have that. So, all right. Um, long segment, uh, but a good one. Hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a good College Cup podcast. But if not that, we've got something good for you every week uh, with Chelsea. I'm Dan. This has been episode 87 of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you.